Hello, you're listening to uh, On Israel, Almonitor's podcast. I am Ben Kaspid from Tel Aviv. We are living in tense times here in Israel. The political parties are of the so-called block of change, are holding round-the-clock negotiations in hope of putting together a new government in the coming days. If they succeed, the name of Israel's prime minister will no longer be Benjamin Netanyahu for the first time in 12 long years. The world will have to get used to new names. Naftali Bennett, head of the right-wing Yamina party, will serve as prime minister for the first two years of the new government's term. And then Yair Lapid, head of uh, the centrist Yeshatid party, will be prime minister for another two years. But this house of cards could easily come crashing down, along uh, with the hopes of many Israelis of removing Netanyahu from power. In an unprecedented trick of history, Bennett would become prime minister even though only 6%, yes, 6% of Israelis voted for him. One of his party's seven Knesset members has already jumped ship, announcing he would not support a Bennett-Lapid government. If Netanyahu manages to tempt just one more Yamina Knesset member to rebel, the block of change would no longer have the Knesset majority needed for a government. That would lead to another election, election number five, and leave Netanyahu in power for now. Netanyahu's messengers are putting tremendous, unprecedented pressure on Yamina's Knesset members. Each lawmaker is getting specifically tailored treatment with a mixture of tempting offers and threats. Their relatives and friends are also being lobbied. For now, Bennett and his five Knesset loyalists are holding firm. As the marathon political negotiations continue behind closed doors, violent riots are taking place in two Jerusalem flashpoints, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood. Israel's old nemesis, Mohammed Def, has popped up suddenly in Gaza, making harsh threats against Israel. Gaza militants have resumed their exploding balloons campaign, setting fire to Israeli fields. This keg of dynamite could go off at any time, any minute now, while Israel does not have a functioning government or security cabinet. The prime minister is not talking to the defense minister, his rival Benny Gantz, and cool winds from Washington are blowing away the warm memories of Donald Trump. The U.S. is once again a honest broker. We will be talking today with a veteran Israeli strategist and diplomat. He was head of policy planning at the foreign ministry, in charge of Israel's strategic dialogue with the U.S., Russia, and China, and deputy head of the National Security Council. He served as Israeli Consul General in San Francisco and was a close aide to Foreign Ministry Director Uri Savir at the time of the Oslo Accords. He left government service after being accused of leaking information, and in recent years he, was led, he led various political and diplomatic initiatives, including a grassroots movement for democratic reform. Ambassador Eran Etzion joins us right after this commercial break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. 
El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit, and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Now uh, we are happy to say hello and shalom to our friend and colleague, Eran Etzion. Shalom, Eran. How are you? Hi, hi. Good evening. Very nice to be here. Thank you. Okay, let's start with the, with the partial uh, inventory of the dangerous developments of recent days. Riots in Jerusalem, threats from Gaza, tensions in our northern borders, uh, and everything is happening. We are recording this conversation uh, on Sunday, a day before the Jerusalem Day, which is very, very tensious uh, between Israel and the Palestinians in East Jerusalem. And are you concerned that the political chaos would spark military clashes? And are the two, uh, these two uh, topics uh, connected in some way? Well, first of all, to the end of your question, surely the political situation in Israel has a huge impact on everything that's going on. That has always been true. It's been more so in the last two years, and it's even more so in the last months, weeks, and days as we are approaching what some might consider the end of Netanyahu's era. And undoubtedly, Israel is undergoing an unprecedented crisis on multiple layers, judicial, constitutional, economic, political, personal, as it relates to Netanyahu and, and, and cultural and so on and so forth. So there's no question regarding the impact of the political situation on everything that's going on militarily, security-wise, and so on. Um, there are obviously other reasons as well. And, you know, many commentators in Israel have been explaining uh, in, in their usual style uh, that, you know, everything is connected to everything. And because of what's going on in Iran and because of Hamas's total control on each and every pilgrim attempting to reach Jerusalem, uh, and because of obviously the cancellation of the Palestinian elections and everything combined, this is the reason why we're seeing such a combustive situation all over. While I don't want to completely uh, disregard all of that, I do believe that the main reason for the uh, flames that we're seeing, certainly on the Palestinian, uh, uh, where, when it comes to the Palestinians in, in Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem and in, in the West Bank, a lot of it is an, a direct result of Netanyahu's government's policies that are totally guided by his own narrow political considerations, which we will probably discuss uh, in, in, in a few minutes. So uh, the bottom line is, yes, as you describe it, we are in, the, in a dangerous situation. 
absolutely the, um, the, the, the core driver of events is Israeli politics. And uh, what, we, what hopefully we will see is a, is a relatively quick transformation of Israeli politics, the uh, assembling together of a new government. And this will perhaps not immediately, but gradually over time, um, change the, the political terrain, the security terrain. Uh, obviously the strategy and the policy of the new government will not be identical with uh, Netanyahu's. Um, so I'm, I'm concerned, but not alarmed. And I believe that uh, it's all about politics in, in this case. And uh, assuming the political situation will change, things on the ground will also come down. I want to follow up on this because you are a harsh critic of Netanyahu and, and myself as well. But both of us cannot deny that during the years, Netanyahu was not a warmongering leader. On the contrary, he was cautious. He, was, he tried not to get into a military adventures. Uh, he didn't, uh, Netanyahu, after 15 years, did not have uh, any, any major war with, with, with uh, none of our, uh, our enemies. And suddenly, right now, people are saying, I, I'm not sure that I agree that, uh, for example, the Israeli police, uh, which is controlled by, by a minister that is very close to Netanyahu, is not so cautious uh, like it used to be in uh, previous years when Ramadan and clashes and 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 the Al-Aqsa Mosque, etc. They are going into the mosque and they, they are stopping uh, uh, buses of pilgrims on route number one. Do you agree that the uh, Israeli police is political and and uh, it's too you know too? I don't know even how to call it, but but it's 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 uh, not trying. To, uh, to put off the fire? Well, two parts to your question. First of all, about Netanyahu and his history and his uh, alleged cautiousness and all of that. Uh, while again, this is not untrue, it has changed dramatically in recent years. And we know, and I think you also were amongst the journalists that published in recent years, uh, several very important incidents mm -hmm. in which Netanyahu was eager to launch um, let's say, hazardous military actions, either overt or covert. And uh, the only reason we did not find ourselves in a war is not Netanyahu's cautiousness, but the fact that, you know, at the last minute, we were saved by, you know, the IDF chief of staff or uh, previous heads of Mossad in, in the case of the Iranian uh, uh, alleged nuclear uh, Israeli attack and so on. So. I, I think his reputation is a little bit uh, different than what people usually describe and, and you just described. And I think it is, he is now completely desperate. He knows that, you know, he's headed to kind of the default for him in, in the upcoming years is to spend time in jail. And under such uh, new circumstances, he's adopting and uh, he has released himself from all previous uh, uh, restraints, let's put it this way. Boundaries. Regarding the Israeli police, and here, as you say, I, I was uh, in the streets in Balfour and so on, demonstrating for the last four years, and I witnessed firsthand, again, the deterioration in the way that the Israeli police has functioned when it comes to Israeli citizens, 
uh, Israeli Jewish citizens in the case of uh, us, the demonstrators in Balfour. And, in, uh, and obviously, uh, whatever is done by Israeli police to Israeli Jews is, is uh, done much more severely to Israeli Arabs. And uh, again, as you said, there is a minister of, uh, of uh, internal security, Amir Ohana, who is a total Netanyahu protege, who is uh, um, unabashedly trying to build his career on uh, the wounded backs of uh, Jewish and Arab peaceful demonstrators. And uh, he's unleashing the police on innocent civilians in unfortunately similar ways as we see in uh, non-democratic countries. It's, it, it saddens me to say, but uh, this is my readout of the situation based not only on the last days and weeks, but on the last uh, couple of years. And there's a, a very clear line of deterioration even before Ohana and Ohana has uh, dramatically uh, accelerated the process, obviously because he believes this is what Netanyahu expects of him. And he's right. And Ohana is the Minister of Interior Security. Yes. I want to ask you a macro question. I think that the question that we did not believe that will be asked in our times. Do you think we have reached what many people believed was impossible? The end of Netanyahu era? I think we are approaching it. But again, I, I want to differentiate between two kind of different uh, possible reading of this term, the Netanyahu era. In terms of Netanyahu himself, he is, in my assessment, in the weakest point in his political career. Uh, his cards have essentially almost ran out. He still has the card of the presidency. He still has some perhaps other um, May surprises that he can somehow magically pull. But um, overall, he, his hand is weak and, and he knows it. And it's more probable than not that he will not be the next prime minister and he will have to step down. Again, um, getting out of Balfour of the prime minister's uh, residence doesn't necessarily mean that he will become the head of the opposition. He has maybe some other interesting options, uh, including perhaps becoming the president of Israel. But he will not probably, and I want to be cautious here, obviously, but he will probably not be prime minister. However, this is only one sense of the term, the Netanyahu era. The Netanyahu era, because he's been uh, on and off prime minister for 25 years, overall 15 years, and for the last consecutive 12 years, there is um, a generation of uh, accrued damages and structural changes that he was able to inflict on, on Israel, on the fabric of democracy, of society, of politics, um, of essentially everything. You know, he has restructured Israel in many ways. And to end Netanyahu, the Netanyahu era in that sense, to undo a lot of what he did, to rebuild, to reset, to reimagine and to redesign Israel in that uh, deep and comprehensive sense, that's gonna take many, many years, probably a generation. Wow. Um, and, and there is no telling if we will be up for the task because, and here I will make an analogy to the US, um, we all obviously um, realize that uh, Trump as a person is gone, but Trumpism is anything but gone. 
and there's exactly no telling. in our side. Bibi will not be gone yes. so fast, but even if he'll not be prime minister, the Bibism, what we call, exactly. is here to stay. Exactly. So um, we will need a lot of, um, of, of um, shall we say, ongoing uh, processes of rebuilding and restructuring. And for that, we will need kind of a whole series of politicians, leaders, civil society leaders, institutions, uh, political norms, political culture. Uh, it's, a, it's a generation's work. And there's no telling if we will be able to pull it off. Uh, and, yes. and, uh, I, I would add a few prayers as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, you said, <laughs> you mentioned politics. Let's talk about politics. So uh, right now, uh, now while, while we are chatting here, <clears throat> there is a negotiation, uh, I think fast and uh, intensive negotiation between the sides of this uh, upcoming uh, block of change government, mm. which looks... somehow impossible. And I want to ask you, Iran Etzion, do you have any formula that can glue together a government that includes the far-left Meretz party and left-leaning left labor with the ideological and religious right of Naftali Bennett, Gidon Sar, Zev Elkin, etc.? Does such a government even stand a chance? Yes, you know, I think it was Abba Ibn who said that Israel always does the right thing after it has exhausted all other alternatives. <laughs> yes. So these guys, I think, have exhausted essentially all other alternatives, all the leaders of this, of this new uh, bloc, Bennett, Saar, Lieberman, Gantz, Michaeli, Hurwitz, each and every one of them actually will get a chance of a lifetime to prove himself or herself as a national leader. And I think this will be probably the strongest glue Uh, for them to stick together. Um, secondly, I think they are uh, somewhat lucky if you look at the uh, re internal, regional and international circumstances that await this government. Internally, there is a tremendous amount of fatigue from Netanyahu, uh, even amongst his own camp. And of course, we're seeing it every day, the, the split and it's in the this split and that split and in the in the right and even in the deep right um, the fact that uh, many uh, Likud members didn't uh, bother to go to the polls as kind of a protest vote against Netanyahu um, so there is a lot of fatigue and a lot of expectation for something new regionally uh, essentially and we don't have time now to do the entire analysis but essentially all actors around us are busy doing other things And they will continue, I believe, to be in that situation for quite some time. So they will get some sort of uh, relief, this, this new government, uh, from uh, dramatic uh, uh, regional challenges. With the exception, perhaps, of the Iranian nuclear issue, which again merits a separate discussion, but I, I belong to the ones who believe and also support a renewed JCPOA. And I think this, this will also give them, the, the Israeli government, uh, a lot of room to, to maneuver relatively uh, uh, quietly. And uh, so I, I think, you know, as, as they say in America, you remember after each American president, you have the anything but, yeah. anything but Clinton, anything but Obama, anything but Trump. So we will have an, uh, uh, an era of ABB, anything but BB. And uh, this will be the strongest glue for this new coalition. 
if I, I'll go on with politics, right now uh, the, the news is, uh, are that uh, Merav Mikhaeli, head of labor, uh, uh, wants two major uh, ministries in the government. She, she's looking at the, uh, the, the Ministry of Finance, uh, of Justice, yeah. of Interior, and I think it's a non-starter. And I want to ask you, as, as, as a guy that is connected to this camp, that uh, many in this camp are calling on merits and labor to swallow their pride and agree to far-reaching concessions in order to take advantage of the opportunity that may never return of removing Netanyahu. Do you share this uh, sentiment? I guess the short answer is yes, but uh, I want to explain it a little bit. Mm -hmm. as, as I already said, the, the task of our generation is to get rid of Netanyahu and the Netanyahu era in the broadest possible sense, and, and we already discussed that. So if you're in the position of one of these uh, uh, Huvits or Michaeli or any other leader uh, of any magnitude of this uh, anti-Netanyahu uh, outfit, be it more to the left or more to the right or more to the center, it doesn't matter. Um, it's not so much about the uh, exact seat or role that you will have in the upcoming government. And we have seen in our history um, very impressive leaders who have done very significant jobs out of um, formerly um, not so significant ministries. You know, Yossi Sarid comes to mind as a minister of uh, education. Uh, of education or of uh, um, environmental protection at the time. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, and on the other hand, we remember both uh, Lieberman and Bennett uh, as defense ministers, which is the plum position after the uh, prime ministership, doing a miserable job. So it's not so much about, only about uh, the seat or the actual role that you get. It is more to do with who you are, what are you willing to do, what kind of leadership can you exercise, um, to what extent are you connected to your own constituency and to wider Israeli constituencies. Merav Mikhaeli is a very interesting example because she represents a relatively um, you know, small portion of the uh, Israeli population, but she did a very impressive job uh, building and cultivating this con constituency, uh, winning against all odds, first in her own party and then nationally in the, in the national polls. And she, she's probably going places and she wants to go places. And I think she can do it, I don't want to say regardless of the actual uh, portfolio that she'll have in the government, but even if, you know, formally the portfolio will not be one of, the, uh, one of those that are considered, you know, top five or whatever, I think she can do, um, she can have a, a tremendous impact on whatever this government does. Even historical uh, impact, I think. Uh... Yes. And, uh, and the bottom line is they, they need to move fast because, you know, the other side is relentless. Uh, yeah. There's no see. telling what will happen tomorrow, the day after. They need to put this together, put this, put this uh, stage behind them and get to work for the Israeli public. My next question is uh, complicated. Uh, on May 5th, when President Rivlin gave the nod to opposition leader Lapid to try to form a government after Netanyahu failed, Netanyahu himself retweeted an assessment that Israel would become a dictatorship because it would be led by a man with very little voter support. Uh, 
does Netanyahu truly believe that he is being ousted by a dictator revolution? And the bigger question is, do you, as, as, as a harsh Netanyahu critique, do you think his continued rule is a threat to the survival of Israeli democracy? And I want to emphasize that if you look objectively on Israel and its surroundings, you look at the economic situation, which is fairly good. The, the, the fact that Israel was the first state that is totally out of uh, the COVID-19 crisis, the security situation, which is, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's bad, and the, the four peace treaties with Muslim states, so it's not so bad. So how do you compromise everything that I, that I just asked? Before I answer, I have to say that uh, untypically for you, you fell into one of Netanyahu's rhetorical traps. <laughs> we are not one of the first countries to go out of COVID at all. Uh, many other countries were much more successful than us. First of all, not entering into COVID using smarter policies. And then even those that were inflicted, some of them uh, came out of it much faster. Uh, you know, just take China, for example. China has been out of COVID for as long as you can remember, much, much, much faster than Israel. So that's just parenthesis. Um, regarding uh, whether or not Netanyahu believes that he will be ousted by dictatorial forces, I don't think he's delusional, okay? That's perhaps one of the differences between him and Trump. Trump on some level is delusional. Netanyahu is not. Uh, he is haunted, but he's, but he's not delusional. He's haunted, as you know, as, as his biographer, you know very well, he's haunted by his father, his late father. He's haunted by his late brother. He's haunted by his living wife. He's haunted by his, by, his own, by his own crimes. And he's haunted now by his, uh, by his judges and by the criminal procedures that have already begun. But there's a difference between being delusional and being haunted. He knows that Israel is a democracy. He knows that his opponents are not dictators, but simply politicians. He knows all of them very well, actually, some of them too well. Uh, he, he fathered. Politically, he fathered many of them. You know, who is Bennett? Bennett was invented by Netanyahu. Yeah. Who is, who is Lieberman? Lieberman was invented by Netanyahu. Who is Saar? Saar worked very closely with Netanyahu. So um, he, he has no illusions, you know, regarding, regarding these guys. He doesn't think that elections were stolen, again, unlike Trump. Uh, he's much more sober. But he uh, has freed himself from any inhibitions or any, or he pulled out every stop. And he is now extremely dangerous, as we said before. He will say anything, he will do anything uh, in order to, to avoid justice and to somehow cling to, to office. And uh, that, that's extremely dangerous. And that is why absolutely, to, your, to, your, uh, to the second part of your question, absolutely I believe he's a threat to Israeli democracy. He has proven it in recent years. He has eroded our democratic institutions, our democratic norms, our political culture. Um, the, in that sense, he is a lot like Trump. He has completely eroded the meaning of facts and truth. Uh, his son that you mentioned is delusional and is exercising um, very dangerous conspiracy theories, spreading them uh, across, across the web, across various platforms, using... Uh, allegedly an, an army of bots uh, financed by dark money 
it sounds in you know incredible but it is happening and, uh, and and of course Israeli democracy is in its most dangerous hour uh, unlike anything that that we have foreseen before it is for our American audiences we are now uh, very much at the exact same point that the American democracy was uh, for the raid know, on the capital exactly and uh, there's no telling. Uh, where we will go from here. I still think we are able to save ourselves, as, as we described before. But, you know, there's no telling. It, it could get worse. Let's hope uh, for the better. You recently yes. formed a party dedicated to democratic reform. What do you think needs to be fixed in Israel's uh, system of elections, government, and its laws? We need... Again, as I uh, briefly said before, a complete restructuring of our, uh, of our governing systems, of our uh, judicial foundations, relations between the three branches of government. Uh, just to, to give our audience an idea, think about a, kind of a three-level um, artifice of which is uh, Israel or Israel, the Israeli state. On the top level, you have policy. On the mid level, you have institutions. And on the very bottom, on the foundation, you have the system, the, the core of the political system, the, the architecture of the political system. So in terms of policies, we need a number of, of huge reforms that were prevented so far because of the structure of the political system and political interests. And we don't have time to enumerate all of them, but just to give you a, a, a kind of a clue, we need a complete overhaul of the, uh, um, what we call the uh, national service model, both the military service and the civil service uh, that 18-year-old that, uh, Israelis are obliged to do. We need a complete reform there, which was prevented by, by Haredi and the national religious interests so far, and uh, it is desperately needed. We need a total reform in our fin financial and banking system, um, allowing new actors to come in and break the duopoly of Leumi uh, and Poalim. We need a total reform of our uh, uh, social security system, again, a little bit like where uh, America was in the, at the end of the, of the Clinton era. Um, and, and it goes on and on and on, just about on every uh, major policy area, we need a number of major policy reforms, which the current system does not allow. On the mid-level, in terms of the institutions, we need to completely change the balance of power between the three branches of government. We need a much stronger parliament. We need a much stronger oversight of the Knesset uh, regarding the, uh, the, the government. We need a complete reinvention of the state controller institution, which was completely destroyed by Netanyahu. Uh, we need to rethink the size of the Knesset. You know, the Knesset was created in 1948. There were approximately 600,000 Israeli citizens at the time. And they decided they need 120 representatives in the Knesset, Knesset members. We're now 9 million Israelis and we're still represented by only 120 members of Knesset, which is absurd. According to every criteria, international criteria, it needs to be much bigger. We probably need a second house, uh, kind of a Senate. Uh, I can go on and on. We need many reforms there. And on the very bottom, we need a constitution. 
uh, and my, my vision calls for the creation of a constitution, uh, not top down or not only top down, but also bottom up. We need a national dialogue, which will be part of the healing process uh, coming out of the Netanyahu era, whereby all Israeli citizens in citizen assemblies, as was done and is done in various countries in Europe, sit together in a prolonged process of national dialogue, discuss in a civic democratic way what kind of constitution Israel needs, consulting with experts, involving parliament members, the government, and so on, and ultimately coming together with a constitution which will uh, last hopefully for four generations. And more, uh, and the last word I would say is that I'm a very strong believer in democratic reforms, again, in a, in a deeper sense, in terms of breaking the walls between citizens and their various democratic and government institutions. Uh, I believe citizens today need to and have a right to, to have a much stronger and ongoing voice on many of the decisions that shape our future. It is, or it is something that has happened or is happening in many um, advanced democracies in the world, has not been introduced to Israel yet. I am afraid we're, not so, we're not so advanced democracy. And uh, as, a, <laughs> as a guy that uh, I think I support most of the things you just said, I think mm -hmm. you're not only a believer, you're also a naive believer because, you know, Israel is a, a big, a, a very, a, a very big portions of conservatism and, and uh, the Haredi, uh, more than a million citizens. So it's very complicated, but I of want course. to... But you know, Israel was created by uh, one of the probably most naive uh, visionaries in history, you know, mm -hmm. Herzl. Yes, and, uh, it looks like a dream. Looked like a dream, uh, yes. but but it happened. And maybe yes. this can happen as well. Finally, uh, you are an expert in everything that is connected to the relationship between Israel and the United States. And I wanted to ask you uh, during the weekend. We heard a condemn, uh, condemnation of, uh, issued by the Biden administration of both Israel and the Palestinians uh, over the violence in uh, Jerusalem. Trump would uh, probably have only condemned the Palestinians. And what do you think when Netanyahu is replaced by Naftali Bennett? How do you see the relationship with the US? How would you advise a religious right-wing prime minister like Bennett and a pragmatic center-left foreign minister like Lapid to rebuild Israel's relationship with President Biden and the Democrats? Yes. First of all, they need to realize that, you know, as the saying goes, we're not in Kansas anymore. We're not in an American controlled global system anymore. We're in a post American order, and they need to adjust to that. Any Israeli prime minister would have needed to adjust to that. And it's a good opportunity that Netanyahu hopefully again will be ousted for Israel to again completely reset and rethink. It's, uh, it's international posture, it's strategic posture, also regarding the US. That is not to say that you know, we should uh, disengage from the US, but we should realize that uh, things will not go back to what they were in terms of the American role in the region, the American role in the world, and US-Israel relations in uh, the older sense. By, for example, uh, I believe one of the, if I were in a position to advise these guys, uh, this cuts across, you know, left, right, Bennett, Lapid, this is strategy. The first thing, one of the first things that I would advise them is that on their first trip to Washington, 
they should propose to the Biden administration a gradual cut of the American aid to Israel. If you remember, Netanyahu did that on the yes. civilian aid in his first term in office. They need to do that now on the military aid to, uh, to come to an agreement that will ultimately uh, bring the amount of grant that uh, the U.S. gives Israel to zero and will uh, shift some of these funds to mutual projects, mutually beneficial projects. Uh, the Israeli economy is mature enough. Uh, the American economy is uh, in, uh, you know, in, in dire straits as it is. And I think this, this is an, uh, a strong symbol of the relations that should change and reset in a way which will be less asymmetric. Obviously, there will always be asymmetry between Israel and the States, but we needn't be as dependent on the US as we are. And uh, in parentheses, I would say that if we won't do it ourselves, this administration or the next will do it to us. So we better be smart and preemptive. Um, secondly, we need to realize that American interests, self-perceived interests in the region have changed fundamentally. And there's much more resemblance between Obama's, Trump's, and Biden's policies in the region than meets the eye. All of them were not looking for more involvement, but for less involvement. All of them realized that the old American interests in the region are gone, you know, with uh, oil independence and with the other changes, the weakening of the, some of the traditional allies, uh, the rise of China and all of that. There is a, a shift in American strategy, global strategy, which cuts across again, Democratic or Republicans, and Israel needs to adapt to that. So uh, the first thing they need to do is to uh, understand that they should rethink everything and not simply follow kind of the good old path of, of Israel-US relations because it has uh, exhausted itself and it's uh, no longer fit to, to the circumstances. We need to wean ourselves from many of the uh, old habits that, that we had and we need to uh, not be afraid to do it again, because if we won't do it, uh, it will be imposed on us. I think you just demonstrated what we call uh, out of the box thinking, and you've caught me. <laughs> uh, I was not ready to this offer to to uh, to uh, get rid of the American grants uh, to Israel. Uh, the question is if uh, Israel can afford it, but we, we don't have enough. Of course, we can. I can. Uh, uh, Next well. time, you will explain me how. <laughs> Yes. But it was very, very, very interesting. Iran Etzion, I want to thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And My we'll pleasure. get uh, uh, to another uh, uh, break and be back here with some final thoughts. Thank you again. Toda rabai, Iran. Toda. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored. 
because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. Ambassador Iran Etzion believes that it's possible to form this unbelievable block of change government between the far left and the far right, even the religious far right in Israel. He thinks that the political chaos in Israel indeed is very well connected to the security tensions and all the chaos we see in, the, in all the fronts between Gaza and Jerusalem and uh, uh, Mosque, Al-Aqsa, etc. He thinks that uh, this Israeli political unprecedented uh, chaos has a huge impact to everything. Uh, it's a multi-layer chaos and there is no question regarding the, the impact of, uh, of this situation on uh, the, the security tensions, uh, Arabs, Palestinians, Israelis relationship, uh, rockets from Gaza, Hamas involvement, etc. I think that the conversation with, uh, with Iran Etzion uh, was full of, uh, of headlines and interesting points, but the most intriguing one, in my opinion, was uh, uh, when finally I asked him what should Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid the future to be common prime ministers, uh, Bennett uh, is, was supposed to be the first one, and then Lapid, one from the far right and the other one is from the centrist, Yeshatid, do in order to uh, rebuild the trust and relationship with the Biden, Biden administration and the Democratic Party in the United States, and Iran Etzion, that was a consul, an Israeli consul in, 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 in the United States, and also a very senior diplomat in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, said the following. He said that uh, Israel should rethink everything and uh, it, it should not follow the, the good old path because, because it has uh, exhausted itself. Uh, he said that uh, the, the good old path is no longer uh, does not no longer fit to the circumstances, and uh, Israel needs to adjust to the to the new situation. In uh, in uh, Etzion's words, uh, this situation is that actually we are in the post-American order, and uh, Israel has to completely reset and rethink its uh, international posture and strategic uh, strategic posture. And uh, Israel needs to realize this new reality. And when I asked him what he means, he said that uh, if he could uh, recommend something to the to the next prime minister in Israel, is not to disengage from the United States. It's impossible, uh, but realize uh, it's a new world order and consider in the first trip to the United States to propose a gradual cut in the American security military aid, I guess it is something like $3 billion a year uh, that America uh, supports Israel uh, uh, annually, and maybe reach an agreement uh, that gradually, and but ultimately, 
will bring the, the, this American support to zero. This is a, an unbelievable statement by a senior uh, Israeli ex-diplomat. And, and Aran Etzion said that it can be a strong symbol of, uh, of uh, changing the mutual uh, relationship between uh, Israel and the United States. And it will be less uh, asymmetric. It will never be symmetric because the United States is a superpower and Israel is not, but it can be a lot more healthy. I think it was interesting. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope to see you here next Monday in, uh, on Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Thank you. Bye-bye.